salam and welcome to Muslim Viewpoint. It's a new podcast series brought to you by American Muslim Today, a groundbreaking nonprofit national digital newspaper. Here at AMT, we champion civic engagement by informing, empowering, and amplifying the diverse voices of almost 30 million Muslims here in the U.S. and other Western countries. I'm Rifat Malik. I am AMT's Editor-in-Chief, and today we have an interview with a man who is poised to make electoral history here in Texas. Attorney Salman Bajani resoundingly won his House District 92 primary to become Democratic nominee for the Texas legislature. If elected in the upcoming midterms, as expected, he will be the first Muslim to do so in the state's 177-year history. Speaking to AMT earlier this year, he talked about his amazing journey to the American dream started as a Pakistani immigrant working in a gas station, and also what motivated him to enter local politics. So first of all, uh, Salman, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to congratulate you on being uh, winning the primary for House uh, District 92. And I'd love for you to start off by telling us uh, about this victory and how it feels to become the first Muslim, the first South Asian, and indeed the first minority to win a nomination in your city of Eulis. Yeah, so this district is actually much bigger than city of Eulis, right? It has six cities in it, uh, which is Arlington, Grand Prairie, Hearst, Eulis, Bedford, and Fort, or Small Silver, Fort Worth. So yeah, it absolutely feels really great. Uh, we've worked really hard for the last four months. I've personally put in 14 hours a day on the campaign, uh, every sort of you know waking hour of, of, of my time to make sure that we don't go to a runoff because there were three people contesting to for the primary. And we received out of everybody 57.5% of the vote. So really blessed to have that accomplishment under our way. Uh, but yeah, it happened because you know we did the hard work and uh, reached out to the community at large and just you know uh, campaigned really well. Well, you already made history in 2018 as the first Muslim and South Asian, and again, I think non-white mm-hmm. uh, minority elected official to this is Eula City Council, right? That's right. Um, yes. So. So tell us about, you know, that particular process, that 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 road to to um, you know winning that election, and I know that there were some issues that you faced, and they became quite sort of headlines. So I, I'm really interested to know how you navigated those uh, hurdles, and um, you know what what you think led to your eventual success. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, just like everybody, you know, a lot of other community members, I was not politically involved, uh, you know, back, you know, when I immigrated to this country. Uh, but our former president uh, was is is what it maybe made me come out and and have because, you know, I, I figured out that he was not being nice to immigrants and Muslims generally. And so I felt that we need to be the change that we wanted to see in the world. Like if, if we don't get involved, if we don't get a seat at the table, will be on the menu and we and Muslims have been on the menu far too long. And so that's when I decided to run for city council. But before that, I'd already been serving, uh, really blessed to have you know started that uh, service journey ahead of time. It wasn't political. I was serving as a park board member in my city of Eulis. And so I was serving since three years and I felt this would be the logical step of going to run for city council where we do have a lot of Muslims and South Asians. And actually it was a minority majority city. It is still minority majority city but yet no non-white person had been elected to Eula City Council. 
And so I knew that there was a hard road ahead of me, but um, also knew that being Muslim, I would get a lot of Islamophobia, but did not see, did not realize to what extent that would happen. It's easier to sort of, you know, for people to put stuff on Facebook against, you know, Muslims and, you know, put things that are really outrageous, even for me to even say on, on this, you know, uh, show. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they came out and even gave me grief and my wife, they told my wife that they're, you know, that she's a terrorist and I'm a terrorist that, you know, they would not vote for me. You know, they, you know, they told me to, that I needed to eat pork, I needed to eat pork in order to get their vote, right? So that way, basically, and impliedly denounced my faith. So that way, then they can elect me. Or, you know, they said that you, I'm going to bring Sharia law to Ulysses, or that I'll, I'll make women wear hijab in the city of Ulysses. And, you know, it's just a lot of, yeah, a lot of nonsense. And, you know, even like very educated people said that, but I think it was, it, it came from fear. It came from misinformation. And so I don't fault them for it because, you know, I think human tendency is such, right? If you don't know particular, you know, faith or race or, or any, any particular one, you will have some, you know, fear, right? People are afraid of change because I would make that change. And, um, you know, but again, you know, I kept on being positive and showing people that, hey, you know, I'm here because I'm passionate about my service to the city. Uh, I could be making money at my law firm. I'm an attorney. I bill by the hour, right? So I could do that, or I could be here actually giving my time voluntarily to the city of Ulysses and, and really make it better. And that's what I intend on doing. And people told me that I had a dangerous agenda being a Muslim and that I would bring that forth when I you know, get elected. So I said, hey, I've been serving on the FARC board. Have you ever heard anything about me, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that I said anything negative about anybody, right? And so that was really nice. And I think, and I tell a lot of people that, hey, if you want to run for office, start at the local level and start at non-elected levels in your city. So that way people can get to know you. And I think they saw that, right? Yes, I had been serving the city for the last three years, very quietly doing my job, you know, not bragging about it. And so that's what I think, you know, another reason why we were successful. But I think the main reason we were successful is we outworked everybody. You know, we knocked on, you know, 5,000 doors, you know, brought, uh, uh, actually, no, we knocked on 10,000, well, 5,000 doors, made 10,000 phone calls. And then we brought 1,000 first-time voters out to the polls. They'd never voted in the municipal election. They'd never voted in the presidential election. They'd never voted at all. And I think that's what it takes to really win in a very competitive race is when you, you have to expand the electorate and bring out people that would that generally don't come out, right? And so that's how, and, and, and obviously just being humble, you know, being professional, you know, being positive. Because had I reacted to what they were telling me, that was exactly what they wanted me to do, right? They would film that and say, this is what the true Muslim looks like, right? This is what true Salman looks like, right? And so I kept it very, very positive and I kept on telling them. And I think that's the professionalism is what really spoke to people because, you know, they can really make out. People can make out if you're being fake or if you're being genuine. I think they saw the genuine desire. And, and, and again, it was a historic race because my own state representative at the time who was sitting in District 92, which I am running for and inshallah, I'll be elected in November, and so it's become a full circle because he actually attacked me for being Muslim and for being an immigrant, for being an attorney, for being a Democrat, all these things that were supposed to make me look really bad. And uh, he put on a public post on, on Facebook and Channel 11 came out and covered us. Channel uh, 5 came out and covered us as well and said, you know, what do you have to respond to that? And, and I didn't respond to him. I just posted another response on my Facebook page and had 20,000 likes right away. And Basically, it was just responding that, hey, all these things make me a good person and who I am. It's not, it doesn't make me anything bad. And, you know, and he, it's unfortunate that my own state representative is coming out against me because he, he's my representative as well. So instead of representing me, he's actually coming out against me. And so that made national news when we won our race. And so 
really blessed. I think that got us also in a lot of people came from like Mansfield, from, from Plano, from all across DFW regions to come out at the polls and, and they brought their kids, they brought food and snacks for us and said, hey, this is a good fight that you're running. And we wanted our kids to see that in person. And that's why we're here to support you. We can't vote for you, but we're here to support you and let you know that whatever's happening to you is bad and it's not American values. We're here to tell you that. And so that was really, really nice to have that outpouring of support. So in fact, it had the reverse uh, effect of what that yes. he intended and, uh, and others of his ilk. It actually brought people together uh, for, for true American values, which yes. they saw that you represented as an immigrant. Yeah. You know, you are the ultimate uh, American dream and, and the story of uh, success and, and the work ethic, obviously, that you uh, exemplify. So um, and I just wonder, you know, throughout all that process, um, was it um, was it particularly um, uh, inspiring when you were able to make connections with, you know, not minorities, but non-minority, the non-minority community, uh, despite all the, the you know, the, the, the hate that you experienced, they were still able to see you as a person and value you. What did that feel like? Well, that felt great. And especially uh, Faith in Texas is a nonprofit organization that actually also came to our rescue. They issued a statement that was joint statement by imams, uh, you know, priests, uh, rabbis, like all religious faith leaders, Gurdwara, you know, heads as well. Everybody issued a joint statement saying that they condemn what Jonathan Sticklin is doing, that, you know, he's attacking this, you know, Salman for, for being a Muslim. And we can't, we, we can't see that, right? And that's not American values. And so that felt really nice that there are a lot of people who are fighting against bullying, who are fighting against racist comments and all that. Uh, and and you know, it, was, it was heartwarming to see that because when you were in the thick of all these, you know, when you're getting a lot of hateful speech right on your face and your whole families are in fact, on the first day, I even brought my kids. And then after that, I was like, I don't think they need to see that because they, they will always see the world different, differently if, if they see all this. And so, I, you know, it's basically very political, right? It's not, my neighbors are, are good people. You know, there are a lot of good people in the city of Euless. I think it's just were very political people who wanted to, did not, could not stand seeing a Muslim ever elected to public office, right? And so I, I keep on saying that. And I think, again, it, it felt really warm to hear that from non-minority, you know, non-Muslims and, and everybody saying that and, and that we're here to support you. Just hang in there and do the great work that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, and so you're, you're uh, you know, going to be standing on, on a democratic ticket. I, I'd like to know what are the main issues that you, you know, perhaps uh, in the local elections, but also um, in the state elections, what are you going to be standing for? What are the main policies? What, are, what is the change or, or the services that you are going to be providing for the for your community? Sure. I mean, I have an ambitious sort of, you know, goal. There, there are sort of five things that I was, you know, speaking to voters as they came out was our voting rights have been under attack in, in the last less sort of cycle, right? And, and we saw the effects of that. Basically, there were 20 plus percentage of mail-in ballots that were rejected because of that law, right? And that law basically said the four-digit code that you registered with, if, whether it's one year ago, whether it's 30 years ago, you need to remember that and put that on your mail-in ballot, you know, envelope, right? And, and what if you didn't remember it? What if you, whatever, right? So that, that had a chilling effect on voting as well. And, and Democrats generally vote more mail by mail, right? Especially during a pandemic, right? That's really helps people. So that's one of the issues that, and then we want to try to make it like on a Saturday, the election day should be on a Saturday instead of a Tuesday, right? So more people can go out and vote. You know, it should be an automatic registration, right? As soon as you become a citizen, or as soon as you 
you know, get your driver license, you should automatically be registered. If you don't want to register, you can fill out a piece of paper and saying, hey, I want to opt out, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the better way of going ahead with that. Again, you know, now, again, with a, that's an example of one of the issues, but with the Republican-controlled legislator, legislature, right, I think that's, it is going to be an uphill battle, right? So that's why we need, we need to make relationships across the aisle to make sure that things happen that are at least are not reversed from that, right? Same thing with women's rights, right? The abortion law that we have the most conservative abortion, abortion law in the entire nation, and it violates constitutional law. I mean, I, I'm an attorney, so I, I feel that's against the constitution right now of the United States. And so that's another thing that we had a setback in. How can we make that better? Because women should have the right to choose and, and have the discussion with their medical provider. It's a healthcare issue, not uh, you know an, another a political issue in, in, my, in my view. And then also we're having to make sure that you know healthcare is better for everybody, right? Especially during the pandemic and how what we've seen, uh, we need to pass Medicaid expansion. That makes common sense. It will make millions of dollars that will come to the state. And then we also have uh, education. Public education is really important for me. So I'm gonna be working on that to the extent that we can. Uh, and then fixing the electric grid is another issue. So these are the five issues that I campaigned on. And like I said, it, they are ambitious, uh, but I think there will be some other issues that I would like to focus on as well. Like for example, there was this law last, uh, there was a bill that was wanting to be passed last cycle was that uh, the each should be a state holiday, right? And it doesn't take away from anything, right? It, it doesn't affect the wallet. It doesn't affect anything. It just gives Muslims priority over other religions, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that didn't pass the Senate, passed the House, did not pass the Senate. So that's another thing that I would like to work on. Another thing was like the imams should be able to officiate weddings right and so that's something that again gives a religious parity to everybody and then another thing that is that uh, during the pandemic and it stayed after as well but there was uh, uh, like bandages and syringes left inside the the person that would pass away and when we performed the gusul ceremony you know the, the people were not able to do it properly because they had you know syringes or, or bandages right so in order to perform gusul ceremony properly we are asking, we were passing a bill to say that, hey, let's take all the bandages. The hospital should be able to take out the bandages and syringes before giving the body over to the family. Mm -hmm. Again, very simple. Like they were not, this is not huge, yeah. right? So I think we need to take, start taking baby steps before we start crawling and, and, and then walking, inshallah. Mm -hmm. But, but what, what is extraordinary about you saying, even though it is about a parity and equality, and it's a very simple, you know, um, uh, thing that you're, you're uh, hoping to, to enact, um, sadly, it's not there already. And were it not for a Muslim representative, it would never be there. So that kind of speaks to the importance of uh, Muslims getting politically engaged and civically engaged. Um, so yeah, so so totally um, understand that. And um, we're not going to get there, even if like, let's say, I mean, inshallah, I'll be elected as the first Muslim and the first South Asian, but that's just one out of 150 votes. And even if it passes the House, you have 31 state senators that may not ha even have a day in, in the Senate floor. So what we need is a, is a really amazing relational organizing network across the state of Texas that re registers more Muslims than ever before and then ensures that they come out in large numbers because what anybody is afraid of, any politician, any elected official is afraid of, if, am I going to get a challenger and will I get enough votes, right? So if you speak to that and say, hey, look, I mean, let's, instead of challenging somebody and having an opponent saying, hey, there are 50,000 Muslims in your, in your district, right? Okay, if they can be engaged either way, right? Let's work together. You know, we're already telling you in advance, let's work together because this community needs representation. 
can you provide that? So that, that's why I feel like I don't feel like I have 200,000 people in my district. That, that's what every district looks like. I have more than I have more than a million people because I have 500,000 Muslims. They don't have any representation right now. And 750,000 uh, South Asians in the state of Texas. So plus the 200,000 people that I have in my district. And so I feel like I have to carry the burden for everybody and to make sure that my other colleagues know the fact that, hey, there are a lot of Muslims in your district even though they are not registered, even though they haven't come out, see that becomes more challenging, right? Now, if I said to somebody that, hey, you have 50,000 Muslims in your district, they could be a force to reckon with. Let's work with me or work with the legislature body to make sure that we can pass legislation for the state, for Muslims, right? And that is sends a stronger message than just electing one or few Muslims to the state of Texas. Obviously That's it's true. important to have that so you can have one champion for everybody. It's important to get somebody elected, but at the same time, it's also important to go out and vote, whether you live in my district or not, right? Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm going out and telling the mosques. You know, I'm, I'm speaking to them after Juma prayers and letting them know, hey, please come out vote. Please register each and every person in your household. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to just go back to the to the beginning in a sense. Um, just wanted to understand a little bit more about your your journey. You know, basically, as I said before, you know, to achieving the American dream. Um, you you came from Pakistan, I think, at the age of ten. Uh, I think you were in Canada initially, and then you moved to to, to here to um, Texas. Was it straight from yes, Canada? It is Texas. Yes. Texas. So so tell us um, about that journey. What were, uh, you know, I don't know if you if you went through, um, you know, sort of hardships or how did you get to, you know, being poised to, to make history right now? What was the process and what were the kind of hurdles that you had to um, experience to get here? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I feel that when I came to the United States when I was 19 years old and it was tough to immigrate and, and get legal status. Right. Uh, we had to, I mean, we had to pay attorneys a lot of money to get that, go through that process. But again, you know, when there's a will, there's a way, you know, we, we got around, I mean, we, we did, you know, like a proper visa and we got naturalized as well. Uh, another hurdle is just coming to a new country, you know, making new contacts, new friends, trying to figure out how you can even put food on the table. And then as we were doing it, this is 1999, right? So as, as we're immigrating to a new country, all of a sudden in a few years, as we're trying to get our bearings straight, you know, 9-11 happened, right? And so that was really, really, you know, sort of horrifying for the Muslim community itself because everybody looked at us very differently than they looked at us right before 9-11, right? And so that was something that, you know, my father had a business, you know, he, it, it, it failed miserably because of that, right? Because a lot of discrimination, I mean, people chose, you know, business owners who were white and other non-Muslim business owners than business owners who were Muslim. And so that felt really bad. Um, and so, and so we, we got past that, but then at the end of the day, you know, we had to put food on the table. And so it was difficult. So I had to work at gas stations. And I remember starting off, I worked at gas station, mopping floors, cleaning restrooms and stocking shelves for six bucks an hour. Um, that was the lowest point in my life ever. Like I've never had that kind of in life, but I mean, that's when I met my wife and we worked together and we moved up the you know, sort of ladder, became a cashier at a gas station, then became a manager at that same gas station and then bought my first gas station in Arlington in 2003. And so that's when sort of the recovery started to happen and really worked hard all the way and then had uh, four gas stations when I thought about, you know, when the next recession happened in 2008, right? And 2008 happened, my daughter was born. And at that time I just felt that, you know, this, and again, as, as Muslim, we, we sort of have to grapple with some of the identity politics, identity issues that we have, right? So I felt that my daughter would grow up one day to ask me that, why are we selling alcohol? and cigarettes when we don't consume them ourselves, right? If it's bad, bad for human consumption, 
and why are we selling it, right? And I mean, anybody else can sell it, but why are we selling it? And so I felt that's not the right move for me, right? So I, let me go ahead and, and do something more honorable. And that's when I started to explore internally and externally. I went to my mentors and I said, what can I do? And then, you know, there were multiple other options, but then one stuck out is, is law, right? That once you become an attorney, then I, not only is an honorable profession, but also you can do nonprofit work. You can do pro bono services to people who can't afford attorneys. And so that really stuck out and said, okay, how can I really give back to my community as well as have a good profession? And that's how I went to law school in the evening program at SMU. I'm glad they offered that, you know, so in the morning I would go to my business from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. I went to my businesses because I still had to have the business money coming in because SMU is expensive as well and, and they had to put food on the table. And then from 6 p.m. at night to 10, 9.45 is when my classes ended every day. And so it was a tough schedule for the last for the next four years. And then I graduated in 2013. Again, I'm so blessed. I think everybody sees the politician, but they don't see all their family. And so again, kudos to my wife, you know, for, for being with me throughout that step. And those four years, she was a single mother. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, she tells me that, and I know that that you know that was actually true. And she was sending not two but three kids, myself also to school, right? And so, <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was a different journey for her. But you know, luckily, you know, Alhamdulillah, 2013, I graduated, worked for a large law firm called Haynes and Boone, um, and then started my own practice after a couple of years. And so again, in being in law, you know, you're already exposed to politics, right? You expose, and 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 that's what actually one of the state representative right now is. His name is Rafael Anchia, uh, in Dallas. And so he's the one I sat right next to him at Hainsimon. You know, he, he was an attorney at Hainsimon at that time. And uh, he said, as an attorney, you it behooves you to give back to your community and to start serving your city. And that's when I served on the park board that I told you about. Um, yes. And so when I became an attorney, as soon as that, I, I started to serve on the park board. And that's what led me to think of the next step when we elected a former president in 2016. And, you know, if you remember, 2016, we elected him. And it was a dark day for me and my family. I was trying to explain to my kids how this person that, on the divisiveness of American society will lead a great nation. Um, but, you know, again, life hits you and, you know, you get in your routine and not until January 2017, when he was sworn in, the first thing he did was institute a Muslim ban from 15 countries. And so that was like the pinnacle of it, right? And then I, I felt this is not right. And so I was at the DFW airport helping my brothers and sisters come out of the airport and they were just targeted because they're Muslims. And I, that really, really enraged me as an attorney. Uh, and that didn't make sense. And so that's when I decided to run for office, you know, at that time that, you know, just, this is it, it is enough is enough, we need representation. And so really blessed to have that journey, but everything sets you up for that, right? And so if I had not been serving on the park board, it would take another year or two for me to get there, right? So that's why I always say start giving back in some capacity and then slowly, slowly build on that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, extraordinary story you know, your life and, and, and what you've achieved. Um, I just wonder, you know, just in the last minute or so of this interview, if you have, um, you know, some advice for uh, minorities, Muslims, uh, perhaps in particular, um, you know, just some about the uh, Supreme Court uh, justice uh, hearings as well. And it's something that really resonated in uh, African-American woman to the Supreme Court justice and I just, uh, the court, and I just wondered, you know, what is your advice? What is your uh, overriding uh, message to uh, Muslims who perhaps, you know, uh, have a goal in sight, but it looks like a really long road, a really long journey. What is, what is something that you think can sustain them that can keep them going? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I don't know if there's one advice that I can give, but you know, it's just, if you look back to the, the, a gas station mopper who's making six bucks an hour and you told that person that you'll be a state rep one day. I mean, that was not believable, right? But I think 
what sets me apart and what I've done is is being outside your comfort zone, right? I mean, I've, I've every time I've tried to make myself outside my because everybody has a comfort zone they stay in all their life, and they're not able to sort of break through that glass ceiling, right? If I had stayed within my comfort zone, either in in going to law school, I would not have. I would just had be you know owner of four gas stations, and that's what I would, I would be, right? But something made me think that there is a higher power, there's a higher purpose why I'm here and how can I maximize it by going outside my comfort zone and looking at opportunities that you typically would not, right? Like a first generation immigrant would never even think about running for office because there's so much that they have to look down and work and all that. But I was able to do that because of the steps that we took in going to law school and doing different unconventional things, right? And, that, and I think that's what has made me in, in a successful person. And I think that's what I would really give everybody as an advice. And, and again, I, I, I always tell people that reach out to me if any time you want to think about running for office, because there's so many steps that you need to do before that. So don't think one fine day, oh, I'm going to run for the state or one, there's, there's a lot of things that need to be done before that to really prepare you for that. Uh, and, and we need to really, and any, anytime I, there is somebody, there's a Muslim in, in any public office, I always want to make sure that we have the ethics of Islam that are forefront. We're exhibiting that, right? Because that's what people look at. I'll give you a quick example is, you know, this, so there's Zoe Kadri, a big shout out to him. He's running for Austin City Council. Uh, he's a really, really amazing, really professional person. I met him a few months ago and he told me, Salman, I'm running for elected office because of you. Now, I didn't even know about him. I didn't even know about him. I, I think I briefly met him one time after I won. But he's like, you were the first person on TV that I saw that was a Muslim that was showcasing our, our Islamic faith and, and our values. And, and you were a, a, pro, a protagonist, you, you were actually a per, good person, right? Everything else that you see on TV is it's usually a terrorist or something else. And you gave me hope to run for office and do something better in my community. And now I'm running for Austin City Council because of you, right? And so you never know who you'll inspire, but always have the proper like, you know, ethics of Islam in, in mind, because then otherwise, you know, people point to that and say, oh, that's what Muslims look like, right? And Muslims and, and, and the mainstream community needs to see more Muslims serving other communities, serving and being contributing citizens of the United States. And that's what, you know, I always try to have, have projected. Absolutely. I think that's a, a wonderful thing to project. And really, uh, I think that we, uh, everyone appreciates your offer of mentorship because that is very important um, in the process of uh, public office um, in, in any in any walk of life, frankly, you know, we do need that that helping hand and that support for each other. But Salman, I really want to thank you for taking time to speak to us. I think your uh, your story, your your message, your success uh, is uh, something that, uh, you know, is felt keenly by the Muslim community. Uh, it's a moment of pride, you know, the uh, your inshallah, your election. Um, and also it's a it's a source of hope as well. So thank you for your perseverance and for for your success as well. And we look forward to, um, you know, attending your initiation or your, your, your first day in office. So my thank pleasure. you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us this week. From me and my team, Hadiya Spahalic and Maya Gaylor, be sure to join us next week. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at American Muslim Today. If you'd like to read more about this story and access more digital content, feel free to get onto our website, americanmuslimtoday.com. See you next week.